Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. It was Thanksgiving week this past in the United States, and I hope that despite this being the most challenging and frankly horrible years uh i hope that everyone out there was able to find something for which to be thankful and i didn't tell you this eric but i actually reached out to a couple of folks in the boxing world to ask them you know if they were thankful for anything in particular that they'd want to share with us on, on the podcast um ring announcer uh, jeremiah galeogus said he was thankful that the daniel jacobs gabe Rosado bout was such a stinker that more people were focused on that than on the fact that he seemingly very nearly announced the wrong winner um floyd mayweather jr uh he smiled knowingly wasn't open about it but he refused to deny that he was thankful for Panya Pradapstri, who hung the first loss on Thai strawweight Wenhang Menyutin, dropping him to 54-1, and and thus, according to the TBE rules, removing him from consideration of being capitalized the best ever. Um, personally, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm thankful for YouTube and for zone highlights packages, which enable me to look at the best of the worst on a Saturday or Sunday morning, instead of having to sit through it all on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, how about you? Anything you're particularly thankful for on this strange sport of ours? Yeah, I'm thankful for a few things. Uh, I'm thankful that you elected to say the names Wenhang, whatever, and <laughs> Panya, what's his name, so that <laughs> I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm thankful to be from Brooklyn. I mean, Philadelphia, or, or maybe it's Brooklyn. I'm not sure. Um, I'm thankful I'm not Jeremiah Gallegos, because uh, that was rough. Um, I'm thankful to whoever decided the rounds in the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones fight. Uh, I'm doing air quotes right now on the word fight. Um, I'm thankful to whoever decided that those should be two-minute rounds, uh, as is Roy Jones, I suspect. Um, yeah. And I'm thankful to everyone who goes to Apple Podcasts right now and gives this podcast a five-star review. It's the least you SOBs can do for the free entertainment Kieran and I provide every week. Damn I, right. I think I, may, I, I might have turned from thankful to a bit grumpy and spiteful mid-sentence there, which I guess oh, not really in the right. Thanksgiving spirit. But eh, That's all right. I mean, honestly, I think our thankful you and I is basically indecipherable from a grumpy... <laughs> tetchy kind of mood it's it's well, that's that's our baseline really and you know anything else just builds onto that it, it all kind of runs together yeah uh, let, let's let me know when someone starts a holiday called snarks giving that's that's really more uh, up my alley that i would be thankful for <laughs> yes okay we're we're uh theoretically thankful for the possibility of a holiday <laughs> called snarks giving sometime in the future got it yeah which, which goes to show like that's the state of our lives that that's that's what we cling on to all right um it was something of a mixed weekend for boxing uh to put it mildly but we have some big fights coming up including a pay-per-view this coming saturday and the return of showtime boxing the week after that we will get into that and more with this week's guest, Stephen Redman Edwards, who's back for, I think, his fourth appearance on the pod this year. He's racking them up. Mm. Um, but first, let's recap the action ourselves. Uh, we will begin by accentuating the positive from the weekend. Uh, Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois met in a much-anticipated all-British heavyweight clash on Saturday. Yeah, this was clearly the fight of the weekend, maybe not in terms of mainstream attention in America, but in terms of importance and in terms of intrigue and entertainment. And we saw an upset as three to one underdog Joe Joyce used two weapons, a thudding jab 
and one hell of a chin to <laughs> overcome the younger, more highly touted Daniel Dubois in a fight that I wouldn't call it thrilling, but it was competitive and edge of your seat the entire way until it ended suddenly in round 10, Joyce landing a hard jab to Dubois' badly swollen left eye. Dubois took a knee and didn't get up until the ref was reaching the count of 10. The 35-year-old Olympic silver medalist Joyce moves to 12-0 with 11 KOs and has to be considered a heavyweight contender now, while the 23-year-old Dubois falls to 15-1. The judges were all over the map. One had Dubois ahead 88-83, another had Dubois up 86-85, and the third had it 87-84 for Joyce. Uh, Scorecards immaterial in the end, but... Indicative of what a strange fight this was, one guy doing it entirely with the jab and hardly throwing any right hands or left hooks, the other guy bursting in and landing clean power shots in almost every round, but not seeing the result he'd grown accustomed to as he was unable to hurt his opponent. Akiran, how did you have the fight at the time of the stoppage? What were your feelings on the fight as a whole? And where do both men go from here? Uh, So I agreed with one of the judges. I had it 86-85 Dubois, five rounds to four through nine, uh, although I had given the last two to Joyce, who is clearly coming on. I, I can almost understand, actually, why these cards were all over the place. Even while it was happening, I was thinking to myself, this is one of those cards where it sort of shows the limitations of the 10-point must system mm-hmm. in that each round can be super, super, super close. But if you think one guy is edging it, you tally up the scores, and it looks like you think one guy's winning by a blowout, and he's just edging each round. Um, it was a difficult one. It was a strange one, like you said. Um, look, you and I have been very high on Daniel Dubois, and, and and early on, I thought he was showing a lot of the elements that made us feel that way. I, I really like his balance. I like his overall movement for such a big man. I like the way that he's on his toes. I, I like the fluidity of his punches. He clearly seems to me to have much more natural talent than Joyce. Um, and indeed, a lot of heavyweights. There, there is, like I said, that fluidity to him. Um, I definitely, like, you know, you mentioned Joyce's chin. And certainly when Dubois was able to land those power punches, he clearly caught Joyce's attention. I, I thought he did actually hurt him a little bit on a couple of occasions. But boy, this just struck me as one of those examples of why experience is so often king, eh? I mean, Joyce may have fewer pro bouts, but he came into the fight having faced a higher standard of opposition on the professional ranks. You know, Dubois hasn't faced anyone of the level of a Bryant Jennings, for example. Um, And whereas Dubois has virtually no formal amateur experience, as you mentioned, Joyce is an Olympic silver medalist. He's experienced plenty of big fights as amateur and pro, and, and it showed. Joyce came in with a plan, and most importantly, he came in with a calmness about executing that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, he never looked tense. He never looked worried. It wasn't even until the end of the penultimate round, I think it was, that he even allowed himself to punch the air with happiness at the way it was going. He was just very level all the way through. Whereas I thought Dubois looked tight from the start. And even when he kind of got into his groove, you know, when Joyce just stayed there, and, and, and then kept throwing that jab at him, the more you could kind of see Dubois sort of running out of ideas. And, and then, of course, that eye was getting worse and worse. You know, he'd never been on anything but a kiddie pool before. And now all of a sudden he was in the Atlantic bobbing around. Right. And, you know, and he, he sort of panicked a little bit, especially once that eye closed shut and, and Joyce was still in front of him, still jabbing, um, still not in distress. There was a point... I think probably around round eight or something when his eye was really kind of closing and looking not good, but he was still to my mind, at least in all the rounds where I thought to myself, Oh, maybe this is going to be 
his equivalent to what Xavier Martinez had a few weeks ago, you right. know, when his eye was closing and not as dramatic, you know, when Martinez went down a couple of times and he came back to beat Claudio Marrero. Maybe this is like what turns him from a boy into a man in the ring. But it, it that just wasn't to be. Um, what happens next for those guys? It's a little bit back to the drawing board for Dubois. Um, look, I, as I said, I was very high on him beforehand. You were very high on him beforehand. I'm not going to dump on him now. He's 23. He's got lots of opportunities to come back, theoretically. Um, it is disturbing a little bit, I think, that he chose to quit. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but in a literal sense. Right. He he chose to stay down. Um other boxers some of the, were some of the more highly critical in the media aftermath. Matt Macklin, Carl Frampton, David Hay all really laid into him. But it looks as if his orbital bone was probably broken. He was probably in excruciating pain. He couldn't see. He probably made the calculation that he wasn't going to win those next couple of rounds because he couldn't see. Mm-hmm. So maybe by taking that knee, he ensured that he still does have an opportunity to fight again. You do worry that he's now in the back of his mind, knows that he's always got that option. But we'll see. Conversely, there have been guys, Vitaly Klitschko, Gennaro Hernandez, who've been criticized for sitting on their stool. And the rest of their career, you would have had to cut their head off to stop them. Um, maybe, that, maybe that's going to happen to him. So, And as for Joyce, yeah, look, as you said, he, he gets to be a world title contender now. Um, I don't know how well he does when he contends for a world title. I think Tyson Fury would wipe the canvas with him. I think Anthony Joshua probably would too. That both their movement and their just natural ability, I just think is just that much better. Um, and they have experience. Dillian White or Alexander Povetkin might be a bit too much for him. But he was talking in the aftermath about fellow former Olympian Alexander Usyk. And that would be an extremely interesting hmm. bout um, yeah. to me. I think that would be fascinating. Um, I don't think he has the fluidity to truly challenge the very best, the Furies and the Joshuas. But look, even if his career ended now, he'd be the undefeated British Commonwealth and European heavyweight champion. And that's not too shabby at all. Right. Um, you know, so. So, yeah, we'll see. He's definitely a contender. He deserves he's 35. He probably doesn't have too much longer, but he definitely at least deserves that opportunity now to step up that level. Yeah. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrified. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Um, so the the scoring. I just want to comment real quick. Uh, Maybe I should just keep my mouth shut um, and uh, and not ah. risk embarrassment. But uh, I, I know I'm going to take some heat in some corners uh, for this. But I agreed with the 88-83 scorecard. Um, I gave okay. Joyce I gave Joyce the first round and the ninth round, and the seven in between. I gave them all to the guy throwing and landing power shots. Now the Joyce jab was clearly doing damage, uh, but Dubois was landing right hands and left hooks in pretty much every round. And to me, those were more than balancing out the jabs from a points perspective. Um, But it's all in what you like. Uh, The closer card, which is how you scored it, that was certainly fine. And I can see how the 6-3 Joyce card got there. If you love jabs, 
six three Joyce as possible, even if it just means that judge is is using different criteria than sure. I was. Um, but good for Joyce for rendering all that moot. And um, you know, despite the one wide card for Dubois that was lined up with mine, with the knockdown in the tenth, Joyce was going to be ahead after ten for what that's worth in terms of just wondering about whether a, uh, a, a Dubois decision was in the offing had he lasted, uh, it, it would have been unlikely. Um, so I forget who else was on my under 25 prospect team when we did that draft last year, uh, <laughs> but my first overall pick took a loss here. So I suspect your team is looking better than mine right now. I'm, I'm not sure quite what this is going to mean for Dubois. It could be a great experience for him in the long run. Uh, he's still very young, plenty of time to work his way back. I wouldn't hold the surrender against him. Uh, like you said, yes, technically he quit, but I wouldn't give him a hard time for it. We don't know what the eye felt like. It's exactly. reasonable for him to, in that moment, be worrying about permanent vision loss. You take a knee, fight another day. It's not like it was round 12 of a fight he was clearly winning then then i might right. be harder on him for not gutting it out um but yeah we'll, we'll find out is he a lennox lewis or a vladimir klitschko one of these guys who wants to be champion and makes adjustments and comes back from a loss stronger and, and improves from here we'll see boxing tests you like no other sport dubois yeah. failed this test uh but he will have opportunities to make up for it uh but of course joyce is the real story my God, he is the slowest fisted, serious heavyweight contender <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, but he has other strengths and, and could well prove to be a pain in the ass for the very best guys. Um, I give him a better chance than you do against Anthony Joshua. I wouldn't make him a favorite in that fight. But with that chin, if he can take Joshua's best, I could see him doing something like this to, to AJ. Uh, same with Wilder. Uh, I'd love to see Joyce face King Kong Ortiz. That would be a banger. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, yeah. yeah. The one thing though, that, uh, we're on the same page about for sure is that Tyson Fury, that style and that skill set is all wrong yeah. for Joyce. Uh, but against pretty much anybody else, I would consider Joyce fairly live. And, uh, as you said, he's 35, so there's no sense wasting time. I'm excited to see where they go with Joe Joyce in 2021. Yeah. Uh, so like you said, not a, not really a classic that fight, but it was a good, solid heavyweight bout. It was intriguing. It was interesting. It was it was well fought, um, which was probably just as well, because I think it's safe to say we were collectively as boxing fans in need of a bit of a palate cleanser after the way the weekend started. Because yeah. on Friday night, Daniel Jacobs faced off against Gabe Rosado on the zone. And well, look. Eric, you and I hated this fight the moment it was announced. But we hated it beforehand for entirely different reasons than the ones <laughs> everyone hated it for afterward. Um, we were both gravely concerned about the kind of damage Jacobs might inflict on Rosado. But in the end, the biggest damage was arguably to Jacobs' reputation. Uh, the Miracle Man escaped with a split decision. Uh, one 115-113 card against him, two by the same score in his favor. It was a truly dire outing um so dire that even fellow professionals were dragging it errol spence tweeted simply if ungrammatically hell jacob's doing <laughs> jojo diaz asked metaphorically all that shit talking for this and showtime boxing podcast ice fishing correspondent caleb truax <laughs> said that was one of the most bizarre performances i've ever seen since i've been watching boxing so eric 
Oh, what the hell happened? Uh, was this a case of Rosado being better than we gave him credit for? Or was this all on Jacobs? What the hell happened? <laughs> uh, yeah, hell, hell Jacobs doing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you said at the top of the show that you're thankful for the zone highlight packages. Uh, obvi- <laughs> obviously, we're using the term highlight very loosely here. But uh, but man, this was a fight that nobody should have to endure in any format other than a quick package that gives you a sense of what it looked like. This was a truly awful fight and both fighters get plenty of blame for that neither of them ever pressed the action i'll give rosado credit he appeared to have more left than i believed going in Mm -hmm. maybe it wouldn't have looked that way if jacobs had been more assertive maybe he allowed rosado to be comfortable but rosado proved he remains a perfectly solid veteran and and kieran and i were both a bit quick to write his boxing yeah. obituary and, and perhaps a bit overly concerned for his health here. Uh, but the bigger story to me is Jacobs, who really tanked his stock on Friday night. Uh, I said beforehand, you know, this is a top 15 or top 20 pound for pound guy. Uh, I'm removing him from that sort of consideration until he comes back and proves this was an aberration. He looked terrible. His own corner was ripping him to shreds, wondering aloud if he bet against himself or or, or bet the over on rounds. Uh, It was close enough at the end of 12 that it could have gone either way. Uh, And an elite fighter doesn't let that happen against Gabe Rosado. No offense to Rosado, but it, it just wasn't supposed to be that close. One thing worth noting here. In about six months now of watching fights without fans, this was the first time I wondered if the fight would have stunk less with a crowd. You know, there's there's nobody booing a couple of rounds in and and exhorting these fighters to open up and entertain them. Now, often such exhortations don't matter. A lot of fighters tune that out and just keep doing what they were doing. But you do have to wonder here, would 10,000 paying customers booing at Barclays Center have have changed this fight at all? I don't know. Mm. Uh, But... In any case, as you said, we we hated this fight going in for one reason. We hated it coming out for an entirely different reason. Let's never speak of it again. (laughs) Indeed. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, We have avoided it as long as we could, but we have to address it now. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. It was certainly the most hyped fight card of the weekend, perhaps of the year in terms of attracting casual fans. I'm, of course, talking about the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones card on pay-per-view on Saturday night. We went out of our way to not preview or discuss it uh, given that nobody seemed to know the rules and whether a winner would be declared and how hard either 50 something fighter would be trying to win we feared it would be a horrible embarrassment uh, or possibly worse if one of these old guys got clocked so our expectations were low Uh, and while Snoop Dogg had probably the best line of the night and the fact that Snoop Dogg was on commentary (laughs) says a lot about the whole enterprise but he had the line of the night when he said it looked like two of his uncles fighting at a barbecue Uh, and yet despite that it actually could have been worse Uh, I have some thoughts about it all Uh, but first Kieran what did you think I don't want to go to a barbecue at Snoop Dogg's house (laughs) is the first thing or I really do I'm not sure right right Um, um, I, I guess to be fair Whatever remaining grumpiness, to get back to our top of the podcast comments about our just general grumpiness, um, 
whatever sort of residual grumpiness I had about the whole thing when it was all over, it somewhat evaporated during the post-fight interview. I don't know if you saw the post-fight interview. And it was, it was hard to see and listen to Mike and not smile. I mean, when Jim Gray sort of said something to the effect of, hey, Roy, you know, people were a little worried about, about you. And, and, and Mike just steps in and goes, I haven't fought for 15 years. How come nobody was worried about me? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I laughed. I thought it was pretty good. So I will be honest, uh, Mike looked and performed far, far better than I had expected. Mm-hmm. Um, Roy looked pretty much how I feared. Um, I agree with you about the being grateful for the decision to make it two minute rounds, not just for the viewer, but for them. Right. Um, you know, Tyson said, boy, at the end of those two minute rounds, it sure felt like three minute rounds. Um, <laughs> right. You know, uh, Roy looked like he'd either not particularly trained for this or he expected it to be the kind of lighthearted shuffle around the ring that perhaps you and I were were expecting. Or he simply just can't do it anymore, particularly, I thought. Um, Mike looked like he wanted to make it exciting and wanted to win whether or not there was the capacity for either person to win. Um, If you know Roy, if you spent any time with him, you know he's never going to say, yeah, I sucked, I was terrible, I'm not doing this anymore, I don't have it in me. But he walked as close to that line during the post-fight interview as I think he's ever likely to. Um, but but I, I thought Tyson was really energized by it all. I, I interviewed Mike on camera for ESPN a number of years back when he was doing that pigeon show. Oh, and right. and when, when I tried to talk to him about his time as heavyweight champion, he did not want to talk about it at all. He said that he hated who he was when he was boxing and he didn't like to talk about boxing anymore. He hated, He had that sort of... It wasn't even a love-hate relationship with boxing. He hated it. But what was what I kind of liked was he seems now like he's 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 very much at peace now with himself and, and with boxing. And what was also encouraging to me was that he seems fully aware of his limits. He he wasn't mm-hmm. spouting any nonsense afterwards about getting a license to fight pro fights or fight Tyson Fury or whatever. Right. He was very clear that this exhibition stuff is where he's at. Um, you know, he clearly likes the fact that some of the proceeds are going to charity. Uh, and by the way, a big applause to Badu Jack, who was on the card and donated his entire purse to charity. Mm. Um, I don't much like this as on pay-per-view. I deeply dislike the fact that idiots like Jake Paul get to earn a ton of money <laughs> for knocking out people who've trained to be boxers for a few weeks or a couple months at most. That's the part of these cards that I really detest. I do worry that this thing is going to get carried away and that some of our one or more of our beloved 50 something fighters is going to get hurt. Um, but this oldies exhibition circuit apparently has some legs now. Um, there are conditions. I think, I think it has to involve Mike. He's uniquely appealing and attractive to a wide range of viewers. I do think there's a limit to it all. There is a particular Mm -hmm. novelty value to Saturday night's outing, to seeing Tyson in the ring for the first time in whatever it is, 15, 16, 17 years. Having seen him once and having seen exactly what you can expect, there'll be diminishing appetite, I suspect, for future installments. He and Evander Holyfield, if they decide that they wanted to do this, is obviously going to do very well. Right. Um, If if Holyfield's up for that. Uh, After a while, people will tire of it. But whatever you or I think about it, it looks like I think we'll see this kind of thing a couple more times. Yeah, I don't think it's going to avoid Roy, Roy Jones. Um, Tyson certainly is up for a for a couple more. With yeah, this we'll see a couple more of these. That's for sure. And like you said, it could have been worse. I hope that 
it doesn't last so long that at one point something happens that is worse. Right, right, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot depends on, uh, you know, what the pay-per-view numbers come in at. If, yeah. if, if, this, if this did well, this will not be the last of these. If it didn't, and, and it's... It's weird. I'm like rooting for it to do well enough for Roy to have made a little bit of money, but not yes. so well that, that they that they're in a rush to do another one of these. Um, this sparring match, which is ultimately pretty much what it was, it was such a fascinating experiment in grading things on a curve to see yeah. people on my Twitter timeline the next morning calling this entertaining or exciting or what a fight or, or whatever. I don't know if they were just working overtime to justify having spent 50 bucks on it. I don't know. I, I can't get in their heads, but man, this was not entertaining at all to me. I give Tyson all the credit in the world for getting in shape and for punching in small bursts, somewhat like the young Tyson did, but there was no action in this fight. There were no thrills. Uh, Roy was holding all round, every round. He can no longer do any of the things that once made him special. Yeah. I got the sense Mike was pulling his punches just a bit, uh, maybe not to the body. He, he was saving yeah. the harder stuff for body shots, uh, but it, to the head, he clearly didn't want to hurt Roy. Um, I don't think this told us much of anything about what would have happened if they'd fought in 2003. I didn't find one moment of it entertaining aside from maybe that snoop line. Uh, <laughs> the only positive thing I can say is it appears neither guy got hurt, and I do hope they made some money, but... I'm sorry, boxing is not a sport that's made for Legends tours. Uh, no sports are, really. Like, even tennis. I was at a Martina Navratilova charity match when she was a few years past retirement, uh, at least singles retirement. Uh, I also covered a Jimmy Connors match for a local newspaper when he was around 50 or so. And those things, the old-timers try to put on a show. They have personalities. They try to chat with the crowd and make it fun. And it is for a few games. But the novelty quickly wears off, and then you're just watching B-level tennis players who can't do anything yeah. athletically spectacular anymore. And that's why those charity tennis matches are, are usually just one-setters. You know, nobody wants to watch more than 45 minutes or so of that sort of thing. Uh, it's especially tough in boxing because if they try hard, someone can get hurt. And if they don't try hard... What's the point? Um, you know, if any of our listeners spent $50 on this and felt you got your money's worth, great. I'm happy for you. I won't try to change your mind about what you saw, but I didn't see the appeal of this at all going in. And uh, I didn't see the appeal as I watched it on YouTube the next morning either. Um, but, you know, at least they didn't embarrass the sport of boxing, you know, until the scores were announced. And then we had to deal with the, see, that's why boxing is stupid crowd. Uh, so, so thanks a lot for that. Vinny Paz. Yes, seriously. <laughs> it's the last time we get to listen to boxers saying that only boxers know what, <laughs> yes. you know, how to score fights or officiate fights or write about fights. It's like, nope, exhibit A, Vinny that, Paz is a scorer. That's a great point. We have debunked that myth that Xboxers are, are better at scoring fights than non Xboxers. <laughs> All right, look, before we bring in our guest, uh, Stephen Bredman Edwards, there are a couple of locked in, almost locked in and rearranged fight dates to talk about. Um, Gennady Golovkin's meeting with his mandatory challenger, Camille Saramata, is now a go for December 18th, which is the day before his archery rival Canelo Alvarez faces off against Callum Smith. Uh, that means in the space of a week, DAZN who seems to be teetering on the edge not long ago, has those two fights and Anthony Joshua, Kubrat Pulev, which is on December 12th. Uh, 
Which of those three are you most looking forward to? I guess Canelo versus Smith, which is a legit fight with a live underdog. Although with Canelo's history, we might get some Vinny Paz-like judging if it goes the distance. <laughs> uh, so so buyer beware before you bet on Smith. Uh, but Joshua Pulev is solid too. I'll be curious to see if the safety first boxing style Joshua employed in the Ruiz rematch remains his default tactic mm-hmm. here, or if he'll be more aggressive against Pulev, who is, of course, a legit quality top 10 heavyweight. Golovkin-Zaramata is the least appealing fight on its own, but it's worth watching from a how-much-does-Triple-G-have-left perspective. So, all in all, solid December of boxing to look forward to. Uh, And we now have our first significant fight on the calendar for beyond December, uh, just barely beyond, as the lightweight fight between Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell, which was postponed due to Campbell testing positive for COVID, has been rescheduled for January 2nd, 2021 on DAZN. And promoter Oscar De La Hoya has said he would like to stage it somewhere spectacular, either on a beach in Cancun or in front of Aztec pyramids. Uh, Of course, De La Hoya has also recently said that he wants to fight Gennady Golovkin. Uh, So which of those do you think is most likely to happen, Kieran? Uh, Garcia Campbell being staged on a Cancun beach, the fight being staged in front of the Aztec pyramids, Oscar fighting Triple G, or none of the above? I think the most likely is none of the above. I have faith in some promoters to pull off a spectacular Aztec pyramid background fight card. I'm not sure I have the faith in Oscar Deloya to pull it off. Right. Um, I hope he does, actually. It would be pretty groovy. Um, sure. You know, I mean, it has to be said, it feels as if particularly in the absence of fans, promoters and producers have been looking to really go the extra mile and, and and think about new ways to sort of increase the visual appeal of fight. I mean, Eddie Hearn really, I think, set the bar with that four-card series at Matchroom HQ in England. Um, we talked about this last week about how we really liked the the visual approach of the Ring City right. USA uh, fights at Wildcard Gym. Dubois Joyce looked great too, actually, in that very unusual setting. So, so I understand what Oscar is saying and trying to do that. I actually do hope that he pulls that off. That would be kind of cool. Um, he might, uh, but you know, when he says just a short while later that he is serious about fighting Triple G, well. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I if this if the whole relating to our previous conversation, if this whole like ancients tour mm-hmm. gets some legs, I can see, for as much as Oscar says he wants to go in and be serious and fight the likes of Gennady Golovkin, I can see Oscar wanting a piece of that action. Um, he's one of the few maybe who could move the needle a little bit. So for as long as that lasts, I can see him getting involved. And by the way, it's sort of makes me think do you remember back in like 1989 when we all thought it was most of us thought it was just awful that sugar ray leonard and roberto duran and tommy hearns were fighting past and what were they then like 36 <laughs> right 38 39 maybe somewhere in that range yeah god yearn for those days <laughs> yeah you know you you calling uh that referring to them as ancients makes me realize that uh you know if if oscar is gonna fight again it has to be in front of an aztec pyramid <laughs> that kind of brings it all together. i we're what we're headed for is oscar de la hoya versus jake paul atop an aztec pyramid i i think that's where this is all headed i'm sorry to say i wish that sounded ridiculous but... <laughs> It's so crazy, it just might happen. It just might work, yeah. All right. Let's turn now to this week's guest. He is, of course, a regular here on the podcast, and he always brings great insights, so we're always happy to have him join us. It is, of course, boxing trainer and betting maven, Stephen Breadman Edwards. Brad, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? 
Good, good, good. Um, obviously, that's a question we want to ask you. Last time we talked to you, you'd recently recovered from a pretty nasty bout of COVID. Uh, you certainly sounded a lot better then than you did the time before when you still had the virus. How are you doing now? Are you fully recovered? Any lingering effects? No, I'm doing great. I gained my weight back. Uh, everything's great. I can uh, run around with my kids. I can hit pads for 10 rounds. I'm, uh, I'm doing great physically. That's great to hear. Um, and, and how about like with 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 training and everything? Have uh, you know, have you got anybody? You know, you back in business? You got any anything coming up? Have you you know? Uh, got any you know, I've had two two fights, and both of them have been messed up for COVID for different reasons. I had a kid that was supposed to fight in Mexico yesterday, Romeo Cruz. He's a four and zero. And, you know, he, he, he hasn't fought since January, so he went down there just to get a win. And they closed the facility down because people were walking around with no mask and they were drinking and smoking and, and the cops came and shut the facility down. Yeah. So he didn't fight. And Karan Davis was supposed to fight um, December 16th. And he just tested positive for COVID. Uh, so it's still affecting me, but, you know, just got to keep pushing on. Yeah. yeah, I would think if anybody appreciates the importance of doing the right thing and erring on the side of caution, it would be you. Oh my goodness, man! <laughs> I, 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 it's so it's so hard. You know, I've been lucky. My antibodies are up, so it'd be hard for me to catch it. But I still quarantine and do everything that I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, but it's just tough, man. You know, uh, both of your kids worked really hard. You know, um, Karan, think he caught it at the the doctor's office getting an exam for his eye test, you know, for boxing, because you have to take the exams. And uh, and the other kid, it's no fault of his own that the promoters, you know, weren't following the COVID guidelines in Mexico. But, you know, it's the world that we live in now, you know, until they get a um, vaccine or something, you know, it's going to kind of be hit and miss with these fights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, your your guys' fights have fallen through, but there has been some action in the ring, and we want to talk to you about it. And let's uh, let's begin with the heavyweights, and specifically British heavyweights. Uh, Daniel Dubois was the favorite going into his fight with Joe Joyce, but the Olympic silver medalist's edge and experience showed as he scored the tenth round stoppage. What did you think of the fight, Brad? And, and how highly do you rate Joyce? Um, I was very impressed okay. because. I picked Dubai to win that fight. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's something that I know about boxers, and I explain this to boxers all the time, and sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. Looking better than someone else doesn't mean you can beat them. Mm-hmm. And looking better than another fighter doesn't mean that, that really you are better. And Daniel Dubois is more athletic. His punches come off a little bit better. And, you know, he has a more aesthetically pleasing style than Joe Joyce. But Joe Joyce has a way about him where he's really hard to beat, even though, you know, he's a little lumbering and he's slow and things like that. He has intangible qualities and he has a lot of determination. He has a lot of willpower. Um, He keeps things really, really simple. He knows what he's doing. There's a method to his madness. And um, he, uh, I was very impressed because he's not the more talented guy. And when you're not the more talented guy in the ring, and you still can pull the fight off. Um, you know, you're pulling, you know, you're pulling the win from a different place. And uh, that was really, really impressive, man. You know, he kept a, he, his defense wasn't even bad. You know, he gets hit a lot, but, you know, he was able to do things to throw 
the ball off. He was using a really good, like a lumbering pepper jab where he would just keep touching him on the same spot with the jab. You know, um, I mean, basically, he beat him with a jab and like a, and like a rhythm where he was like constantly threatening Dubois. And it kind of like, you know, even though there was an injury to his eye, he, uh, he was fatiguing him mentally mm-hmm. by like keep, kept constantly touching him over and over and over and over again. And uh, that was really impressive. I, uh, I like what I saw. Yeah, and, and you just touched there on, on how Dubois caved uh, to some degree at the end. Now, he's a young guy, especially for a heavyweight prospect. So in theory, he should be able to learn from this and come back stronger. But from your perspective as a trainer, do you worry a little about a young fighter who, who takes a knee and, and stays down like that? Or, or do you think the eye was so bad that we should all cut him some slack here? Um, You know, that's a really good question. Because on the internet, everybody was calling him a quitter right. and things like that, you know, and I try to refrain from saying things like that because you never know what a person is going through. I mean, technically, he capitulated, he quit, whatever, you know, words you want to use um, for, you know, but uh, that's a decision that he made. And um, people try to say quitting is quitting, but it's really not. You know, if you know if you get a guy in the first couple of rounds, the fight's not going his way, and he just turns his back or he fakes an excuse, you know, is a little different from you know you kind of taking a beating and your eye is closed and you know and you're hurt. You know, it's it's more of an injury submission kind of deal. So you know, I don't really know what was going through his mind. Um, it's concerning anytime a fighter gets stopped. Let's 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 be honest. You know, it's not. It's not something that you want to happen as a trainer. You know, if you if you are going to lose as a trainer, you want to lose a razor thin split decision. You don't want to see your fighter get stopped. Uh, but it doesn't mean he can't come back from it. He's a young guy, knows what he did wrong. He had an injury. He was in there with a really good fighter. He has to figure it out. It's not the end of the world. You know, he just has to be accountable for some of the things that he did. Uh, you know, in the fight, uh, he has to look at himself. You know, see what went wrong in camp. You know, he just has to figure it out. I, I can't say, you know, would I be pushing the panic button? No, you know, it was a hell of a fight. It was a competitive fight. It was pretty much an even fight going into that round. So, you know, he wasn't getting out of class. He just has to figure out what happened. And uh, he should be able to um, to come back. He should be okay. okay. You sort of mentioned about being accountable and figuring out and being honest with what happened. Um, one guy who seems to be struggling to do that is Deontay Wilder who's been speaking out a lot lately about his loss to Tyson Fury. Um, I mean, you've heard it. He's blaming everything and everyone from Mark Breland to Fury's fingernails to doctored gloves. You know, earlier in the year, he's blaming his ringwalk costume. Uh, You've had fighters lose their undefeated records. You've had fighters trying to find ways to rationalize it and explain it away. And I understand it's a very difficult psychological balance, right? You kind of have to correct your mistakes without sort of telling yourself that you're a loser. But it feels as if Deontay is not getting that balance right, that there's something weird going on here. And I'm curious what you think about what he's been saying. And if you had a fighter who was acting this way, what would you be saying to him? Would you be taking him away quietly in a corner and having a word with him? Oh, man, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I mean, I've been through this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been through this, you know, not not publicly, but I've been through this. Um, it depends on where you're at with the fighter. 
You know, it depends on what kind of terms you're on with the fighter. I always believe in holding in a fighter uh, accountable for different things. Um, but, you know, sometimes you can't if you want to keep your job. You know, right. if you tell a fighter the truth, then that may cost you, you know, your job on, you know, because he may not want to hear that. So, you know, you're asking me a question that's really hard to answer in some aspects because I don't know, like, the type of relationship that the people on Wilder's team have with him. And I try not to, like, you know, get into all the excuses because, you know, if you take a side right now with the excuses that Wilder has come up with and then somebody finds out that he's telling the truth, then it's like, you know, wow, it won't look right. right. So, you know, I've been trying to keep a uh, a neutral, you know, uh stance on this whole thing uh you there there are things you may not want to talk about publicly you know as far as making excuses if you can't prove them because when you start making accusations you know you can um you know somebody can sue you for saying certain (laughs) things you know so you got to be careful with saying certain things but you know that's their business um i I would rather touch on the aspect of a fighter losing it's embarrassing for a fighter to lose you know it's a it's a very very embarrassing thing and it's tough on a fighter to lose because, you know, friends and family and everybody comes to these fights and there's so many people that are counting on you to win. Most fighters have a degree of arrogance in their personality and they've already said things about what they were going to do to the opponent and to lose and get knocked out. It's like, it's tough. And if you notice that most times where a fighter changes trainers is after a bad loss or knockout. Mm-hmm. Most times that happens. And um, there's a reason for that because they have to compartmentalize the loss. Yeah. They have to uh, sort of, like the way a fighter's brains run, he has to figure out why he lost. So if he goes and says, you know, to himself, I wasn't good enough, man. You know, that's like no fighter wants to admit that they weren't good enough. Yeah. So when they lose... You know, they have to figure out different reasons on what happened. And, and oftentimes, it means a, tra- a trainer switch, unfortunately, for the trainer. So I understand that. I, I don't. It's not right, wrong, or wrong. It's just how boxing is, that when a fighter loses, he has to rationalize it. And no fighter likes to say, you know, the other guy is better than I am. So you will be surprised at the different excuses that you hear behind the scenes. Well, while they're... The problem is, is that this is, the excuses are coming out on the forefront. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know. I think it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I've heard some pretty bad things said about Mark Breland. Um, you know, uh, spike in the water. And that's, pre- that's a pretty strong accusation. But, you know, I, I don't know, guys. I, I really don't want to comment on it. You know, I try to stay away from it. I just don't really – this, this is it's pretty deep, you know. I, I feel bad for all of the parties. I would hate for a fighter to excuse, to accuse me of poisoning them. Yeah. That, that that's really strong, you know. Um, it's uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, maybe somebody higher up, you know, not even a trainer, somebody that like you know really know both parties. Maybe want to sit down and talk to them because I mean, I just couldn't imagine a fighter accusing me of poisoning them. You know, that's like it's just mm, that's, that's that's unfortunate. You know it. You know if 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 that could ruin your reputation for the rest of your career. Yeah. 
you know, like a fighter may not ever want to work with you again. If you know, if somebody is accusing you of uh, putting something in their um, in their water, I think it was spiking the water. Like that's a little bit bigger than your perception of when to stop a fight and when not to stop a fight. You know, that's that's a that that that's a matter of perception. Everybody has a different opinion on that, but to to like there there is no there you you can't you can never justify if it's true putting um something in the fighter's drink. Uh, so you know that's that, that's really unfortunate. Uh, if, if that's not true, I feel horrible for Mark Breeland. That could ruin his career. You know, you may not ever get another training job. You know, um, it's just bad. You know, that's all I have to say about that. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's certainly uh, that's certainly serious stuff. Uh, our, our our final heavyweight topic that we want to hit on with you here before we get to some of the fights coming up, uh, I guess could be perceived as less serious stuff. Uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones had their exhibition Saturday night atop a card that featured a YouTuber knocking out a former NBA player. That's the sort of night it was. Uh, neither Kieran nor I paid for the pay per view, and I believe you didn't either. But admittedly, the two of us did find ways to watch it on YouTube the next morning. Uh, what's your feeling about this kind of thing? Is it good that guys like Tyson and Jones can get a payday? Is it ripping off the people who pay for it, who think they're getting a real fight and then they get sort of a glorified sparring session? Or is it just something you, you shrug your shoulders over because it's boxing and there are more serious things to worry about? Uh, well, actually, this weekend, I was looking forward to this weekend because I uh, I bet two fights. I bet Gabe Rosado versus uh, Danny Jacobs, and I bet the uh, the Bulls fight. So I lost the, the Bulls fight, but I thought that Dick Gabe Rosado would go the distance, so I won that fight. Okay. So I was happy about that. So you know, I was looking forward to this weekend of boxing. I didn't rent the Jones um, Tyson fight because th- those are two guys that I really really like, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to see either one of them get hurt. You know, that was yep. just like my personal reasons. Cause like, you know, you get brain bleeds and all that kind of stuff as an older fighter. And I didn't want to see one of those guys take the wrong shot and get hurt. So I was just like, man, I can't watch this. You know, I still can't watch when Jones gets knocked out. That was one of my favorite fighters, you know, back in the day. So I was, I was a little bit nervous and I was nervous for Tyson also. Like, like, like everybody thought that Tyson would win in the landslide, but I was like, you know, I was saying to myself, like he's older than Jones. Right. You know, and, you know, they both have to be careful. It's not a thing where Tyson just has to be careful. I mean, Jones has to be careful. Both guys have to be really, really careful. Either one of them could get knocked out. So, but I did, like you guys, I did find a way to watch it afterwards. And I'm just, I'm just glad nobody got seriously hurt. I'm glad they got to make some money. Um, The YouTuber thing, you know, um, I'm not a fan of it, but I understand it because boxing is a business and people hate that word. So you got a YouTuber that's making more money than serious fighters. It's just the way it is. You know, I choose not to support that, but you know, I'm not mad at the kid for fighting. You know, if he wants to fight and make some money, then you know, that's good for him. Uh, it's just the way that the, it's the way the business of boxing is, you know, uh, we're in the age where that kind of stuff sells and, it is what it is. Like, what can you do about it? You know, either you can choose not to buy it, which, I, which I'm which i not going to buy a fight with a YouTuber in there getting a spot on the card where I know young guys that really want to fight. Right. But at the same time, people enjoy this stuff. So, yeah. um, Let's look ahead to um, what's coming up with a couple of guys who are real fighters and real good ones. Um, the pay-per-view clash between Errol Spence and Danny Garcia. Uh, 
I'm of the opinion that Danny Garcia is criminally underrated, and I've never quite been able to figure out why. Um, that said, as good as I think he is, he's going to enter the ring, the underdog against Errol Spence. What does he have to do to pull off the, the I guess, what would be considered the upset on Saturday, Danny Garcia? I think he has to neutralize Earl Spence's jab, and I think he has to find a way to not allow himself to be carried at such a a, a hard, fast pace because then he fights at more of a measured pace. Mm -hmm. And I think he has to find a way to run Earl in the shot and kind of like, you know, uh, make Earl pay for his aggression. And I think he can um, win the fight. You know, I think... uh, Danny is also underrated, but I think I know why he's underrated. I think he's underrated because he's not like an overly dominant fighter. He's mm-hmm. not like really fast. He's not like overly athletic. He can punch, but he doesn't have like, you know, a 90% KO ratio. Um, uh, and he's, um, you know, he lost to Porter and he lost to uh, Thurman. And he's one of those guys where he never gets too high and he never gets too low. Yeah. You know what I mean? He doesn't blow your socks away with things that you see about with, 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 by looking at him with the eyeball test. He's not like a freakish talent where you say, oh, my God, look what he just yeah. did. You know, but he has a steady way of all of him. He has a great chin. Um, he has, you know, he's really gifted counter puncher. And he knows what he's doing in the ring. He, you know, um, he keeps it really simple within himself so things that he does it doesn't stand out to not even more than the casual it doesn't stand out just to some people in boston they just don't see it with danny Mm. but um he has a way about him if you think about he's never lost bad right his two losses have been like razor thin decisions um he's just one of those guys that just know how to get the job done and um he listen if he wins this fight he's a hall of famer yeah. If you really think about it, if he wins this fight and beats a guy as good as Earl Spence, pound for pound guy, you know, probably the number one welterweight in the world, uh, uh, an Olympian, then he goes to the Hall of Fame, you know, so he's one big win away from the Hall of Fame. So this will be this is a big this is a big fight for Danny. Yeah. And and it's a perfect fight to get your take on from a betting perspective, because if you shop around at all the different sports books, there's actually a possible small arbitrage opportunity here. I'm seeing Garcia as high as a plus 325 underdog at one book and Spence as low as a minus 300 favorite at another. So you could bet both sides and lock in a small profit, except there's a chance of a draw. And, uh, and and honestly, I can't rule out a draw with this fight. I might just bet the draw at 22 to 1. That's that's in play here. But uh, if you had to go one side or the other, underdog Garcia or favorite Spence, which way would you bet this one? Or have you already put down a bet on this? I haven't. I haven't because it's a really, really – I like both kids. Danny's from Philly, and um, I know Earl, so I, I, I like both kids. I, and I, I respect both coaches. So I haven't made a pick or, or, or bet yet. But I'm going to tell you the best value that I've seen, the over, because I believe the fight has a better chance of going the distance than one of them knocking the other one out, mm-hmm. and the draw. Danny Garcia has been involved in some really, really close decisions. Yeah. Um, let's be really, really honest about what I'm about to say. Rose Spence deserves to be the favorite. He's bigger. You know, um, he passes the eyeball test a little bit more than Danny Garcia. 
but he wasn't dominant versus Sean Porter. I thought he needed the knockdown to win, and he got one. So Danny Garcia lost to uh, Sean Porter by by an edge, and Earl Spence beat Sean Porter by an edge. So they're not as far off as everybody may think. So this fight could be a draw, and I believe that both guys have showed really good chins, and I believe that um, the fight can um, go to distance. And most of their tougher fights, those fights have went to distance. Earl went the distance versus Porter and Mikey Garcia. Danny went the distance with Robert Guerrero. He went the distance with Sean Porter. He went the distance with um, Keith Thurman. So I can see these, uh, and he went the distance with uh, Matisse. So I can see this fight going the distance. And um, I think the over and the draw both bring good value this weekend without mm. picking the winner. Yeah, that mm-hmm. the, sounds like you, you made a smart bet with the overbet on the Jacobs-Rosado fight. And uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think that's uh, that's a smart place to put your money on this one. Yep, yep, yep. I, re- I really do. I think both guys are going to come in and shape. They're going to fight really hard. But they're also going to be, uh, you know, um, they're not going to be reckless. I don't think either guy's going to be reckless because, they, you know, they're, they're, there's a danger factor to both guys. Danny has a big punch. And Earl, you know, Earl has a lot of knockouts. He's a big, strong guy. So I think both guys will be kind of careful. And, I, and 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 oftentimes, the past is what in, was is a good indicator of what may happen in the future. And you got to remember something. Mikey Garcia is a really good counterpuncher, right? So what, what did Earl do? Instead of being a destroyer, Earl, Earl used a really good jab and just outboxed Mikey Garcia. Mm-hmm. He didn't go for a knockout in that fight. And people, mm-hmm. you know... You know, Earl is billed as a destroyer, and he is, but in his big moment, in his big pay-per-view moment, he all boxed Mikey Garcia because of his counterpunching ability. So I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't rule out him saying, you know what, I'm not going to make this fight hard. I'm going to box more, and we and we don't get the slug, and we don't get a slugfest. Mm, right. Mm. All right, looking a little bit further ahead, uh, Showtime Boxing returns on December 12th. Uh, Chris Colbert taking on Jaime Arboleda in a 130-pound contest. Um, the top of that 130-pound division is full of good quality guys, but there's some also there's some strong young talent coming through, you know, as well as those guys, Colbert and Arboleda. There's Xavier Martinez, who we recently saw come through the big test of his career, Oshaki Foster, uh, who we saw on Ring City the other night, Gabe Flores. What do you rate Colbert, and how high is his upside, and how much of a threat is Arboleda to him on December 12th? Um, I think Colbert will win the fight. I think he's a really naturally talented kid, good good height, good boxing ability, smart. You know, he's a, a natural boxer where, you know, he doesn't really try for the knockout too much. So um, I think that a good bet for that fight will be Colbert by decision. And I think Colbert has a good upside. You know, um, I really do. I think that he can make some noise. I think he can win. Uh, I think he's, a, he's an interim champion. I think he can win the uh, official belt, you know, if given the opportunity. Um, he's a good fighter. He's a good fighter. he got a good left jab. he got good uh, sound fundamentals. He just kind of needs more experience versus um, elite-level competition. Sometimes, you know, you can get everything you're going to get in the gym, but the actual competition of certain fights makes you better. You know, you raise your game because of who you fought. I think that Colbert is at a point right now where, you know, if he gets by this guy, which I expect him to, where he um, he, he he should step it up as far as his competition level. And I think he's going to shine because of that. I think he'll be better when the competition gets better because he has really good reflexes. He doesn't take a lot of punches. Um, 
he's he's a kind of guy that I think is really hard to beat. He has a, he has a difficult style. Yeah. All right, and there's one more card that we want to ask you about. One week later, uh, Nonito Denaire is back on Showtime. Uh, it's one year after his fight of the year performance against Noya Inoue. His first opponent fell out, and he now looks to be taking on Emmanuel Rodriguez. What do you think about that matchup, and what are you looking for on the undercard from Philly's Jerron Boots Ennis, who takes on Thomas Delorme on that show? With Donaire, Donaire is one of my favorite fighters, um, but he's an older fighter. So with an older fighter, you know, like if you look at Denaire, um, he's been kind of hot and cold over the last three or four years. He'll lose a decision to guys, I think, Frampton and uh, Jesse Magdaleno, if I'm not mistaken. And then he looks like, you know, the old Denaire when he fights uh, now, you know, who's the pound for pound kind of guy. So you got to judge an older fighter on a fight-by-fight basis. You judge everybody like that, but especially a guy like this. I expect Donaire to win, mm-hmm. but he's an older fighter. If I'm not mistaken, Donaire has to be 37 or 38, and that's really old for a band of weight. Right. So while I expect him to win, um, you know, you, you still have to be careful with going too hard on a guy that's that old, you know, at this weight division, especially a guy who's always been a, you know, uh-huh. um, outspoken as far as uh drug testing because you know he, he most likely he's clean you know and age is age you know so um i expect him to win but you know i don't know if he's going to be you know if we're going to see the same guy that fought um you know he now you know sometimes as an older fighter you get up and you can turn back the hands of time but you can't do that every single fight right. um with ennis uh i told you guys i think he's the real deal i yeah. think that you know we have a chance to uh, to see a kid that's special very, very early on. Um, I think that he has potential to win titles at 47, 54, and 60, which is really, really hard in this era. I think the last fighter to do that was uh, Felix Trinidad and Oscar De La Hoya. You know what? You know what? Let me take that back. Uh, Miguel Cotto. You know, but right. all of those guys are first ballot Hall of Fame. That's a really, really hard trifecta. You know, most of the best welterweights of this era, they haven't even moved up to 54 yet. You know, if you think about it, um, all of them have stopped at 47, where I think uh, Ennis uh, is going to move up to 54 and 60, you know, before his career is out. I know that people view DeLarme as a step-up fight, and on paper it is, but I expect him to um, uh, be dominant and, uh, you know, uh, I expect him to uh, score a mid-round knockout. All right. Fantastic stuff, as always. It's always great talking to you, Bread Man. Thanks for uh, carving out some time uh, over the holiday weekend for us, and uh, happy holidays to, to you and your family. Yep, same to you. Thanks for having me, guys. Before we go, there are a few fights to look forward to this coming week. Uh, NBC Sportsnet's Ring City USA returns for its sophomore effort with a main event featuring Sergei Bohachuk taking on replacement opponent Brandon Adams. Uh, the day after, on the zone, Billy Joe Saunders faces off against Martin Murray. And then, of course, is the Errol Spence-Danny Garcia pay-per-view. We asked Bredman about it, uh, but let's make our own unofficial pick. So, Eric, how do you see Spence-Garcia unfolding? You know, the closer this draws, the more I seem to be talking myself into Garcia. Um, look, everybody in boxing is coming off a, a layoff in 2020. But Spence is coming off a long layoff and a car accident that could have killed him. And 
nobody except the people who've been in the gym with him know if he's really entirely recovered. So while I view Spence as the higher upside boxer, a little bigger, a little longer, he's the guy who's on my pound for pound list, whereas Danny Garcia is just outside it. I'm definitely finding myself seeing the upset potential here. Uh, even even before we talked to Breadman about it, uh, the, those seeds were, were starting to sprout. Uh, Garcia is such a sharp counterpuncher that I wonder how comfortable Spence is ever going to be able to get uh, against Danny Garcia, worrying about those counters coming back at him. Um, you know, the Sean Porter fight that Spence had, that was nip and tuck, as, as Breadman said. I'm not sure that this is really any easier than that. Um, I'm probably staying away from it as a better except to put five bucks on that draw. That's where I was yeah. leaning anyway. And then uh, Breadman said he liked that. So so I think I might do that. But um, if I have to make a pick, I'll go Spence close decision. But I would bet Garcia as a three to one underdog before I'd bet Spence as a three to one favorite. That's for sure. How about you? Yeah, yeah, look, I think that's really fair. I, I, the very same thing. I think when this was very first mooted, way back, like right after, I think, Mikey Garcia, wasn't it? Spence Mikey Garcia, when Danny Garcia got in the ring, if I recall right. correctly. Um, I think both you and I were like, eh, as a, as a contest. But I am the same as you in that as it's gone on and I thought about it, I'm like, I don't know. This is actually a pretty interesting fight. Mm-hmm. Like I said to Brad, I, I do think Garcia is underrated. I think Brad was exactly right in, in why he, he said that, that Garcia is underrated. Um, you know, add to that a couple of other elements that we've talked about before. Um, but I think the interesting, the key here. Breadman mentioned this, the Errol Spence jab against Mikey Garcia, and I think that's probably going to be the key in this fight is whether he can deploy it or not. And Garcia's just the kind of opponent who can either walk through a jab or block and slip under it and start working back inside and putting pressure on. I think the two key punches are Spence's southpaw jab and Garcia's left hook. And I think if Garcia can make that left hook land enough, or at least make Spence think about it enough, that maybe he's got a holster... That, that jab or maybe switch stances or whatever, then we have a real fight on our hands. Uh, I think if that jab keeps thudding away and keeps Garcia at bay, then we probably don't have, have a, a much of a fight at hands. Um, like you said, look, Sean Porter had quite a bit of success against Spence by being able to apply pressure. And, and obviously the kind of pressure that Garcia applies is very different to the kind of pressure that Sean Porter brings. It's, it's not that balls to the wall kind of fight. It's more that kind of slow, relentless, reeling them in kind of, kind of pressure. But Garcia is very calm. He's not going to get knocked off his game plan. He's not going to panic. He's going to keep at it. Um, and I could see a situation, especially past the, the midway point of the fight, if, Garcia, if it's really close and Garcia still keeps coming, I think we're going to potentially have a very interesting fight. That said gun to my head i am also going to pick a spence unanimous decision as the most likely win and i could see it being either a 115 113 fight or one of those fights that ends up at like say 116 112 and we all think that's a bit unfair hmm. um it, it, it could be something like that but I, I am not gonna bet against the uh the draw either i that's that's not a bad pick at all even irrespective of the odds i think that's I would like to ask Erickson Lubin if he would pick a draw. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's get him on speed dial right now and uh, just check in with him. All right. Uh, one final note here. Uh, our good friend Al Bernstein tweeted on Saturday that he tested positive for COVID last week. He's had some minor symptoms, he said. 
and he was sharing the news because he wanted to explain why he was at home in Las Vegas rather than doing the blow-by-blow commentary on Tyson versus Jones in Los Angeles on Saturday night. Hopefully, minor symptoms will indeed be as far as this goes for Al. We certainly wish him the very best and a speedy and complete recovery. Get well soon, Al. Indeed, and he probably already hates the amount of attention that has been paid to him. <laughs> probably. Knowing Al. So, uh, okay, that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. A uh, programming note. Be sure to tune in to Showtime this Friday, December 4th at 9 Eastern, 8 Central for Macho, the Hector Camacho story. Uh, we will be back next week as we look back on Spence Garcia and look ahead to a packed weekend of boxing featuring the returns of Anthony Joshua and Shakur Stevenson, as well as the Showtime boxing card that we mentioned, headlined by Chris Colbert and Jaime Arboleda. Until then, thanks for listening.